Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Luke 3 verse 4. As Jesus prepares to start his three-year ministry, John the Baptist heralds his coming. He knows his cousin is the son of God. He's been preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins to prepare his followers to follow one whose sandal he's not fit to unbuckle the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. We're in the season of Advent, looking forward to the celebration of the first coming of Christ. In the church, the readings point to the second coming, the end of the world. For the liturgical church, this, not coincidentally, coincides with the beginning of the new liturgical year and a start on our journey forward through salvation history. As John the Baptist calls his followers to prepare the way, so the church calls us, to prepare the way for the second coming. We know about the first, Christmas, but only the Father knows when Jesus will come again. John warns his followers that the axe is ready at the root to cut down every tree that doesn't bear good fruit and throw it into the fire. Second coming prophecy tells us we will be judged by God. I didn't ask my children to imagine a judging God while they were meditating on the manger. I asked them to make a space for Jesus in their hearts. The crowd asked John our question, what should we do then so that we're not struck down and thrown into the fire? And John tells them to share what they have, to be honest, not to bear false witness, and to be content with what they have. T.S. Eliot in The Four Quartets says what it is to be a Christian, a condition of complete simplicity, costing no less than everything. Are we prepared for a simplicity costing no less than everything? Are we snuggled in Jesus's heart? Are we ready for his second coming? Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest this week is Jules Rothacre, a remarkable and faith-filled young woman whose latest endeavor is church planting. I'll be going on about all things wedding for a bit, the putting up of our tree, the sudden cold weather and death of my plants, and a personal co-op. I'm dunking biscotti fresh from my oven in my cappuccino, courtesy of my star barista. So sit back with me and listen as I share some stories from Texas in my English drawl. First, some news I'm hoping my zookeeper fiancé son won't hear. I was mean-spirited about bringing in plants this year because... I liked my outer rooms uncluttered. The tomato plant I rescued has rewarded me with a steady crop of small fruits for several weeks now, so I'm okay with that one. But the left, I left the others outside. Everyone leaves their begonias out and buys new ones for next year. Not me. I can nurture mine along for years, but not this year. They're all frozen. Even the large ones passed to me by a friend who retired to Florida a decade and a half ago. I may have to bring those in now after witnessing the demise of a palm my son was particularly proud of, an attractive ivy I'd had since the beginning of time, and several iron plants that 
aren't so hardy. Nothing kills them except, apparently, the odd frigid Texas day. It snowed on Monday. Can you fathom that? My cowboy and I were off to work on the film set and we stepped out of our house at the ungodly hour of 5.45am, hair and makeup ready to find snow falling on our Lexus. Well, we put the tree up, it was Grandmama's, and we would have all taken bets on it being white until we opened the box, and astonishingly, it's green with white lights. All the children individually have said, I thought her tree was white. Evidently not. There are no decorations on it yet, so it sits naked and green with glittery white lights all over it. I've glued hangers on pounds of chocolates to adorn its branches with sweetness. The rule is, though, we're not allowed to eat the chocolates with hangers already on them until they're on the tree. And the ones I can eat are out in the sub-zero garage. My sweet tooth impatiently awaits for the hanging of the Mars and Snickers, York Mints and Crackles, Reese's Cups and Three Musketeers. Traditions and Habits takes me to the rest of my co-op story started a couple of weeks ago. After my experience with my slender stranger and her aunt... I went from toddlers and others in my midst to teenagers who were fast outstripping me in academic acumen. Somehow I managed to stay one step ahead of the game and they never found out I wasn't a master in every topic I helped them with. We found theatre so their social life was good and the boys didn't require other boys of like age to show off to. They had two impressionable younger sisters to whom they were pretty special. The girls rightly thought their older brothers had hung the moon between them and willingly allowed them to lead the way along untrodden pathways to adventure. This time, it was me who wanted a break from having to keep up and stay ahead. I was doing ever such a good job, and my children were turning out clever. I needed a competent all-round teacher I could share several subjects with, and I started scouting around. Providentially, I found someone at the community theatre. Not an obvious place for homeschoolers, but I was there, and so was she, so we already had one match. I'd first seen her at the audition with one of her sons, who was a pretty mean juggler. I quickly found out that she ran a very successful worldview Bible study for teens at her church, and I decided that my boys needed to be a part of that. Because of their contentment at being the he-men to their sisters at home, My boys didn't at first notice her boys. They were quiet and not as home in the environment as we all were. I hovered in her peripheral vision persistently enough that she did eventually notice us one rehearsal. It was Charlotte's Webb, and my oldest had landed the starring role of Wilbur. When Ian started cavorting around the rehearsal hall showing Charlotte how radiant he was, I introduced myself to her as the mother of that pig and snagged an invitation to their next Bible study class evangelism was at work right before my eyes. The first Bible study went well and had been moved to her house. I dropped the boys off early so that I could linger a few moments on the off chance that I might be invited to observe. I wasn't. When I picked my sons up, I was treated to news about a windowless window. No, it was a windowless room that had non-perishables stashed away in the event of Armageddon happening on their watch. 12 and 14 year old boys can't keep secrets. I was relieved that at least half my children wouldn't go hungry or thirsty in the event they were left behind. As we grew acquainted through our boys, I found several other matches and likes. They lived close by. They believed families had the right to raise and educate their children. Their church abounded with homeschoolers. 
that wasn't a match because our church didn't have homeschoolers abounding, just us chickens. They were physically active. Dad was a volunteer member of a SWAT team, a firefighter and a daredevil. Mum went along as the voice of reason, but could hike and blaze a trail along with the best of them. After learning about the emergency room, I could have classified them as extreme fundamentalists, but I wasn't stereotyping anymore. For me, they were an exciting answer to a prayer for someone I could share school with. God had provided me with a whole family we could all find something in common with who were all ready to branch out of their homeschool too. My theatre stranger and I decided to use to full advantage the camaraderie that was rapidly developing between our male offspring. To start with, she suggested that the boys may enjoy playing flag football every Saturday with her husband and her brother-in-law. Welcome to a family who lives so close to brothers, sisters and parents that cousins of various and appropriate ages, ages swarmed, as did willing uncles. This was a blessing on a family whose relatives lived 4,000 miles away. The sports activity turned into a tournament that continued for weeks. Ian was given the task of looking up the rules of the game in preparation for their first game of the season the next day, which he in turn taught to Simon. Flag football suited Malia, the fashion queen, who became the self-appointed cheerleader for the team, and Paris, my nurturer, who manned the water, snack and orange table. When flag football season was over and the weather turned nasty, we slowly gravitated to the indoors. For two years, we two mothers pooled our intellectual skills and formed a co-op that covered everything from economics to government. The presidential election was in progress and we were able to use her local connections through abundant family to staff a pooling, polling booth one day. We read poetry and the classics and discovered that The Little Prince is the second highest selling book after the Bible. We shot a film closely linked to St. John the Divine's Book of Revelation and learned about script writing, costumes, camera angles, lighting and direction, and how to tap into resources at the theatre with their mentor, the technical director. We made an intensive study of Judaism, uncovering our Christian roots. My girls were always included, but most of it went over their heads. So they spent the hours in my theatre stranger's house, colouring and reading, finishing crafts or playing with the dogs. Our intimate co-op met each week on the same day. We alternated houses and toted our own lunches so as not to be a food burden on each other. It was open to all interested homeschoolers, which sounded too ambitious for me at first, but ended up being only a couple of additional children who drifted in and out depending on the subject matter through the years. Some mothers aided us in presentations, but for the most part, the two of us planned and executed the lessons each semester and remained faithful. For me, this was a highly successful venture, simply because we were both experienced homeschoolers and insisted on high expectations for our children. Discipline and obedience had already been well established. This regular co-op finally had to close because college began to interfere, but there is a final note. My theatre stranger introduced me to an amazing science teacher whom she was using for her chemistry-crazy older son. My oldest wanted to be an engineer at this time, and I knew my love was for the arts and science experiments did nothing to inspire me. Therefore, when my son was old enough, he enrolled in Mr. Molesky's highly explosive and irregular class, too, on the other side of town. The drive there and back in the afternoon made me think I was back in the corporate rat race, but Mr. M was charismatic and did great stuff like interact chemicals in ways that caused them to behave erratically and sometimes even explode right there in the room with them. As an added bonus, he sold flash paper where all their pocket money went, 
Fired by my son's sheer enthusiasm for this class and its teacher, I overcame my grudge of transporting him across three cities in bumper-to-bumper traffic. Everything went well for almost a year. Mr. M sang our son's praises every time we collected him, and I handed over my checks promptly and willingly to keep his compliments coming and the classes going. Then a mishap occurred, and Mr. Molesky took an unexpected and compulsory sabbatical at the government's pleasure. I left spiritual judgment to he who knows best and civil judgment to those in office and rinsed my hands in true Herodian style before trotting off in search of a replacement. A little gun-shy, I signed up with two nurses who were homeschooled, offered science classes and seemed to appear on the scene from nowhere. They offered chemistry and physics in addition to a full range of science classes at a church at the bottom of my road. God could not have shod the feet of these women more brilliantly and I basked in the knowledge that seeking the kingdom of God first really did make everything else fall into place. And with that, I have to go on my first break. So go and get yourselves another cup of tea and maybe another biscuit. I'm going to get me another biscotti, and I will be right back after these short messages. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest this week is Jules Rothacre, a missionary currently serving in central Arkansas. She and her husband of almost eight years have three children aged four and under and have just started paddling in the waters of homeschooling. Jules is new to blogging, where I met her on her beautiful site and invited her along to talk to me about what God is doing in her life, which includes, but isn't limited to, the simple silliness of everyday quirkiness that happens around her home with three kiddos, a hilarious husband, and church planting. Welcome, Jules. Thanks for being here this morning. Thank you for having me. Well, how are you? We're doing well. We're good, good. And as I mentioned, you're just starting homeschooling with your with your oldest who's four um what what made you think about homeschooling were you and your husband homeschooled 
Well, my husband and I, neither one, were homeschooled. Um, we both went kindergarten through high school in public school. Um, I'm just very intrigued by it. Um, I've met lots of godly women who have chosen to homeschool. Um, I really enjoy my children, so I have a hard time uh, wanting to share them and just getting uh, the few hours after school with them. So um, I, I like to be the influence um, and in pour more godly things into them during the day. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I'm not a really good person at sharing. And I discovered this with my children. I went, oh, I don't really like the fact that maybe somebody else will hear them read for the first time. And I was working when I had my first yeah. child. So somebody else actually saw my child take his first steps. I went, oh, mm. my gosh, I don't like that at all. But, you know, homeschooling was, was for me. But I came into it a little bit later. My kids had already um, gone to school my first through second grade my second was just kindergarten the two girls never went to school and I never looked back you know once I started doing it I just never looked back so do you have a lot of homeschoolers in your family in your um, church no actually um, the church we just stepped out of um, I don't know that they had any homeschoolers um, I do have lots of friends scattered across the United States that homeschool so I've got some knowledge about it but don't have a core group yet and what were you what did your parents say when you said you were going to homeschool um i think my mom was a little surprised um just because we were sent through public school um but she just you know gave me the okay and was like if you have the patience for it go for it well good 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 for you um okay so you're in arkansas have you always lived in arkansas are you an arkansasian (laughs) <laughs> yes, um, I grew up in Fayetteville, Arkansas, but my husband grew up in uh, Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and where did you meet? Um, we met when I was at college in northeast Arkansas. Um, he was a youth pastor in town working, and um, I was attending the college there. Yeah, and uh, so you got married and you had your children, so um, you're missionaries in Arkansas. So why Arkansas? Um, I guess uh, we just feel God hasn't called us somewhere else yet. Uh, we know this culture. We feel as though we can minister to this culture well. Um, but we do consider ourselves missionaries, um, as do, I think, most Christians, mm-hmm. in that we're ready to move wherever God asks us to. Mm-hmm. And God is asking you to do something right now. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, the newest thing he has us doing is church planting, uh, something we didn't know much about until about a year and a half ago. So, yes, a new learning curve for us. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what church planting is. I know um, some churches do more of that than than others. Well, I suppose we do it abroad maybe a lot, some of our liturgical churches, but um, usually in our in our particular diocese, the church that I am at, um, it's a very diocesan thing. So it's handled by the big church. It's not just something a couple of individuals can do on their own. So tell me a little bit about how that works. Yes, um, I think here in the U.S. there's probably some people that just step out on their own and uh, plant a church. Mm-hmm. We actually chose to go the route through um, the Southern Baptist Association, mm-hmm. so they will be helping us. Mm-hmm. Um there's a small interview process, just making sure um, you are called to do this, and it's not just um, a flippant thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also support you through it. They give you some training, uh, what to expect in church planting, how to attempt to be successful, um, as well as uh, small financial help. Mm-hmm. So tell me, what kind of experience do you and your husband have for um 
planting a church? Well, my husband has been in youth ministry um, over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a biblical studies degree. Uh, not seminary, um, which neither one of us have. Um, I have a psychology degree, but really it's just hands-on experience uh, with youth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, you are, both of you um, have worked with youth a lot, and uh, it's your heart really more than anything else. Did, did the, um, the Southern Baptist Association see that you were really sort of, this really was a calling for you? It wasn't just something that you thought, oh, well, that's something we can do maybe. Yes, I think so. Uh, when God first asked us to do it, um, we both thought we had misheard it. <laughs> we we didn't know what that meant. We kind of figured there were enough churches around. Yeah. Uh, but the more we investigated it, we realized uh, that church planting is the number one way um, to get the unchurched in a church and to come to find Christ. So then we were kind of more on board. Yeah, um, but you're not going to be planting a church where you're actually living now. You're actually going to be planting a church somewhere else. So tell us a little bit about that that next step in your journey. Yes, we are actually going to be planting um, a church about an hour, hour and 15 minutes away from where we currently live. Um, we stepped out of our position at our last church back in May, and uh, we've just been waiting to sell our home so we can physically be in that community um, and get more hands-on. Um, but we have been doing um, some of the logistical stuff while still being in this house um, about an hour away. Mm-hmm. So um, why why an hour, why that town an hour away? Um, have you got connections there or did it just kind of pop into your heads that, oh, we, we need to go there? <laughs> we get that question a lot. Um, when we first started investigating church planting, we contacted the state, a friend of ours who works there, and just asking where are some of the places that are in need of churches. Um, and Valonia, Arkansas is one of the many he told us about. And um, it's about halfway between us and where my parents live. So we've stopped in Conway or the Valonia area um, when going to visit my parents. And we've kind of fallen in love with that area. Mm-hmm. And as we researched Valonia, we realized that the population is us. It is our generation. Um, the average age there is about 30, 32 So it's in between Matt and I's age. And they also have the same stage of life with just um, a couple young children. So we just felt called to go um, chase after our generation and and bring them back to the heart of Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, well, tell me a little bit then, um, if the average age there is uh, 30 to 32, what what is drawing those young people to that area? Um, it's actually just a kind of a commuter community. Um, a lot of people call it a bedroom community. Uh-huh. Um, it's very close to Little Rock where a lot of people work, um, okay. which is a, a large town, but they can drive about 45 minutes away and just have home where it's not big city. Um, it's just a community. Um, the school is really, um, the public school is known for how well it is. I think that's part of the draw for that community as well. Mm-hmm. All right, so it is a, it's like a, um, a commuter um, community. I don't know, I can't remember what we call them in England, but yeah, they're the same kind of thing. So is it yes, rural? It's a suburb of Little Rock. Yeah, is it, is it rural? Is it really beautiful out there? Do you feel as though you're in the country? It is. Most of it is pretty rural. Uh, there are lots of pockets of neighborhoods going in because the community is growing so quickly. Um, I don't remember the exact stats, but I know it's grown uh, about 200% in the past five years. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just booming and no one, um, has, has 
plugged into that and started connecting with those people yet. Right. But is there a church there or are there no churches there? Yes, there are some churches there, some great churches. Um, but as we all know, not all churches reach all people. So no. we're hoping to go in and reach some of the people who um, haven't been connected to the body of Christ yet. Um, we do not want to steal from the churches that already exist there. Mm-hmm. And we're just hoping to be another source um, to reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds that sounds as though it's um, a perfect match, especially with um, working with people who are your age. Um, you said that you were working with the D Church. We'll get into more of that um, in our next segment of the program. But before we go there, um, talk to me a little bit about um, maybe the unchurch, maybe some of those who might not even have heard um, the word of um, God or read the Bible, or maybe if they have, they've confused it with perhaps some other faiths that have been um, talked about in their schools as they were growing up, as you probably experienced a little bit too. Yes, um, we are learning the difference between unchurched and dechurched. The unchurched are those, like you said, that have never heard the gospel, don't really know the truth of Christ, as opposed to the dechurched who were once plugged in and left. Mm-hmm. Um, the unchurched are probably, um, you know, my generation who grew up with mythology in high school, where Christianity was just thrown into a classroom with lots of other religions, and many of them just believed it to be a fairy tale, just like uh, our Disney cartoons we watch. Mm -hmm. And the miracles of Christ are so crazy and outlandish that sometimes we just assume it's a magical thing, that that's not really reality. Mm -hmm. And the way it's being taught, it's probably being taught in that same way so that it doesn't stand apart. There's no truth being explained um, in those stories versus the myths. So they're, they're kind of told in a parallel way and so you you know really I suppose the hearers are just hearing just another fantastic story that isn't true yes I I totally believe that's true yeah yeah yeah, that's such a shame it's such a shame well good for you for doing that and so those are those are your unchurched people I know in England we had um, a lot of unchurched um, people and it's it's difficult because when you talk when we're talking well when my husband and I are talking among our generation we just presume that everybody has heard these stories they know who Adam and Eve um, are and um, Moses and you know these these wonderful stories Joseph obviously in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat is, is one of those um, very famous um, biblical stories but again could be taken out of context but when you're going to the unchurched they look at you and they they really don't know and you have to just start right from the very beginning and start telling them the, you know these these stories and some of them are children some of them are teenagers some of them are young adults who are really um you know sort of very verbal ask a lot of questions so i just um i'm wondering you know just how much you're going to have to uh, field some of those questions when you're opening your when you're starting your new church you've already done a lot with your youth but you know does that concern you um it kind of does um Within the last two years, um, we actually met a former student um, and his wife, and she told us um, of her conversion and how someone led her to Christ in college. And she told us that she had never heard these stories and never seen someone really live it out. Um, They told the stories or they went to church, but it wasn't a reality still in their lives. And so that is what drew her to Christ. Uh, So I think 
living in authentic biblical community is hopefully what will show these people that we're not crazy. <laughs> we are educated people um, who have faith in, in the Bible and the stories it's given us and that it is a reality in our world today. Mm. Well, Jules, we have to go on a short break now, but we will be back to continue our discussion after these few messages. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Why do I feel so lousy? Why are my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. The author of the book, Help, My Body is Killing Me, Solving the Connections of Autoimmune Disease to Thyroid Problems, Fibromyalgia, Depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better, to make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live, Monday nights at 9, 10 Central, here on Tugginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, I'm back, and my guest is Jules Rothaker. She and her husband live in central Arkansas, and they are currently making plans to plant a church in the Volonia um, area of Arkansas, which is more of a, they call it a what, a bedroom community um, where people live and they commute to the um, town nearby, which all of you will have heard of, Little Rock. And um, she's, she, she and her husband are going to be planting a church in that community. So, um, Jules, tell me exactly um, how you are going to start your church. Are you going to be doing it um, just first off in your home, although you're selling your house where you are now? And I know you're in the process of looking for another home in your, your new place. So um, when you open your new church, where are you going to be meeting? Well, our current plan um, is to rent a space in town. But since the community is so new, there are very few vacant areas. Um, but we do have an ideal one we'd like right now. And we're going to lease that and do a little bit of remodeling, but just simply have a space to meet in Um for people to come to. We like the idea of home church, but I think um, Arkansas being in the Bible Belt will be looking for a building to meet in. And we like the idea of having a big corporate service at least once a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you say, being in the Bible Belt, they, they've already got these preconceived notions that church means a building. Yes. And really what you and your husband are trying to do is, um, although you you know sort of acknowledge the need for a building, because obviously you've got to meet the people where they are so if they want a building you don't have a problem with giving them a building yeah. but really what you're trying to do is something something else you're going after the d-church and you're trying to do something else for them so tell us a little bit about who these d-churched people are 
Yes, de-church is a new term that's come up recently. Um, used to, people would just talk about people being in their teens or 20s and kind of leaving church for a short period of time. Well, they've discovered that my generation left around the same time, but they're not returning. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not returning when they get married. They're not returning when they have children. And a lot of that um, is is co- uh, from the core of churches not really being the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like a club rather than um, a family or a body of believers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not acting like the body of Christ. They're not loving on one another um, and reaching out. So I think, um, although these people are leaving church, they're not leaving the faith. They still believe in Christ, believe in the Bible, and they just aren't buying into the organization mm-hmm. of church. Yeah, you say that just because they're leaving church doesn't mean that they're losing or leaving their faith behind. But how, I mean, that's pretty difficult to maintain your faith on your own without some kind of accountability, which is what a weekly um, corporate service will do. So how, how are you, um, I, I mean, how, how do you feel about that? And, you know, I know you're, you still go to a church, so you obviously are still very um, sort of um, supportive of the corporate services. But, you know, sort of can people maintain their faith on their own or do you really need other people to keep you accountable? Well, um, that's sort of a um, twist of terms, I think. A lot of people are calling it leaving church because they are no longer attending um, a building for their corporate mm-hmm. meeting. But many of them still have Christian friends they stay in contact with. They have their individual Bible studies um, and things like that. We are hoping um, to bring these people into our body of the church, mm-hmm. our part of the church, through um through the community groups. We're going to have um, Bible studies within homes, which is where people meet each other. And they'll be more comfortable there, and they can build relationships and do life together. Um, and that is what we're hoping will be the, the stitching that keeps us together, rather than what our building is, what it looks like, what kind of music we have, and those kind of things. Yes, we believe the foundation of our church is going to be community groups uh, within homes. Mm-hmm. That's the natural place for people to do life together. So we're hoping that will be what stitches them together rather than um, a church building and what kind of music we have or what the one guy up there speaking and um, how his, you know, persona is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're hoping that um, is what will connect them since that's really what church is. Church is... Um, the body of Christ rather than a building. Yeah, church of the people. I can remember um, I was the senior warden at one of our churches and our priest left. And everybody, the whole congregation started to fall apart. They said, what are we going to do? Our priest has left. And I said, but our priest is just (laughs) one person. I said, everybody else is still here. We're all still here. We can still do this together. (laughs) And I, I was just, I thought, you know, they just don't get it. They they really look at the building, they look at their priest, and then when the priest leaves, everything just falls apart. And I think some of that tells me that perhaps they don't have that personal relationship with God. So that's a danger that we can fall into, isn't it? When when we have this charismatic priest or leader, pastor, and he goes away and everybody goes, oh, now what do I do? 
That is definitely, definitely a problem. Um, in I, obviously your churches as well as ours, um, it's all based on a pastor or a lead worshiper, um, as opposed to just carrying on about God's work, uh, no matter who is over the entire thing. Yeah, so these small groups that you're talking about within your larger group are really pivotal to keeping that going because if the main leader leaves, they've still got their small group. Their small group is still intact. They still feel secure and, and, and they can go there. Is that right? That is right. And yeah. um, we're hoping that through those groups, um, those people will help each other create gospel-driven lifestyles um, mm-hmm. that can branch out from there as opposed to turning in. Mm-hmm. And by branching out, hopefully we'll be able to mobilize to reach the world and not just stay in Bologna. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- these groups, this, this intrigues me a little bit. So how do you choose? Would you and Matt be the people that chose um, the leaders for these house groups? You would choose like the key the key family, and then other people would be assigned to them. How would that work? Well, um, those are the logisticals we haven't quite figured out. Um, ideally, we would pick um, maybe elders in our church or some of the men that just seem to um, serve one another or just be gifted in teaching to lead those home groups. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think the groups would not necessarily be assigned um, unless they needed help finding a group. But more, those people would invite their friends, their neighbors, ideally, um, to their group, maybe people they work with. And naturally, those groups would grow from relationships they already had, and then they would have that Bible-focused um, group to grow in that way. Mm-hmm. And I read somewhere also that in a small group, once you hit 12, you should start a new group. Anything more than 12 becomes too big. Yes, I would totally agree. Um, We're hoping that within those groups, um, it can just be so comfortable that once they get to that point, that someone else will step up and say, hey, I'm going to take half the group over here and we're going to just keep growing. Um, Because if you don't split, um, then they kind of just fizzle out. Mm -hmm. It gets a little awkward in in giant groups. Yeah, it gets too big. And um, so you're going to this new town how are you going to advertise your new church you are you going to literally you know sort of advertise it what are you you going to do (laughs) this is the fun part um finally being i guess in charge of the complete direction of the church we get to be very creative and try and reach our generation where they are um, we just received in the mail some postcards we've got uh, with this simple valley, the valley logo, logo on it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will be the church's name and the date that we're going to start. Um, we also do things right where our generation is. We've got a Facebook page. We've got a Twitter account that they can follow as well as a website that has all of our information on it um, and where our heart really is. So they can start to connect with us before we even launch. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, and you've already started doing that. So when is your church, uh, when, are you, when are you hoping to open? We are planning to have our first service on Easter Sunday of 2013. Wonderful, but not too far away. That's just the no. end of <laughs> yes. March. Yeah, just, just three months away. Well, gosh, that's, that's fantastic. And um, right up your street, you've got, you know, the, the people are all exactly the right age for you. And you've probably experienced a lot of what they're going through. So you, you, can, you can relate much more to them and um, understand why it is that they left their church, right? 
Yes, totally. Um, I'm hoping that will help us be able to to reach their hearts um, and know exactly where they are so we can guide them to Christ or, or back into a group of believers. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jules, we have to go on another short break, but I would like you to come back just for five more minutes just to talk about um, you know, so your blog and um, just a, a couple of other things that I want to touch base with you. So we'll be back in just a few moments. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriended is on Togginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Jules, your husband has just returned to prison. What's that all about? Uh, well, that's um, our funny way of talking about the new career my husband has taken up uh, just to help provide for us uh, in these few months before we get more funding. Um, before going to prison as a, um, I guess, a guard inside the local prison, uh, he would go to McDonald's as his office and do studying there. Um Yes, he loves McDonald's. That's the big joke about um, why he chose that as his office, but it was kind of a quiet area for him. Uh, prison is definitely a new adventure for us. It's the complete opposite of ministry. Um, as a guard, you're encouraged not to have relationships with the inmates. Uh, otherwise, they, they may feel as though you're going to help bring in things for them or yeah. random things. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine. My goodness me, though. Completely, uh, complete departure from youth ministry complete well i suppose god's working in a way he must be yes um, i do believe god has had lots of things for us to learn through going into prison um my husband really wants to write a book about his uh, days in prison and um, it's probably less than three months counting uh, the academy he went through and the weeks he's working his last day will actually be the 23rd um so he's going to have lots of stories coming out of this so the 23rd of when um, of December this month. Oh, okay. So he's not he's not there for very much longer. And um, yeah. Oh goodness, what what an environment though. I suppose you know what you could do. You could do prison ministry in your new church, and he'll, he'll have, <laughs> yes. he'll know how to do that. Won't feel quite so intimidated going to prison because he'll have already spent time behind bars and know know what it's like. Yes, the chaplain in this uh, current prison actually already has uh, the valley down to come preach four times next year. Oh, so. right. Oh, good. 
good. That's great. All right. So your church is called Valley Church, the Valley. Okay. And is that the name of of the town that you're in? Um, sort of. Um, originally, Valonia was named Vilsonia, which means city of two valleys because it's kind of in a bowl between two mountains. Mm-hmm. And uh, the post office just dropped the S, so now it's just Valonia. Oh, right. Okay. So that's the name of the church, and so they you have a website for that, so people can just type in thevalleychurch.org. Yes. And um, they, go to, they go to their website, but you also have your own um, website where you blog and tell us what that is. Yes, my blog is asjulesisgoing.com. Okay. And for those of you who want to go visit that site, it is beautiful. She has done a really good job. It's very eye-catching, not, not particularly busy, just very soothing on the eye, and you need to go there and um, check that out. And on there, Jules will direct you to all the places that you need to go so that you can help her and her husband along the way on this ministry and learn more about the church and more about her husband and more about her family. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, and you have a Facebook and you have Twitter. Okay, well, Jules, um, I guess we've come to the end of our time, and I'm very happy that um, you took the time out to talk to me today about your new uh, venture into church planning, church planting, I should say, and planning. Um, my guest this week is um, has been Jules Roth. Acre, emissionally yes. currently serving in central Arkansas and um, she is a fellow blogger and you need to go to her website with asjulesisgoing.com it's really beautiful, Jules shares her life as a missionary with her husband and um, they're currently in central Arkansas as I've said and they are chasing down the unchurched to bring them back to the heart of Jesus and they're doing this through church planting and they've just started homeschooling their oldest who's four and Jules find God, finds God in the simple silliness of every day and writes about her quirkiness or the quirkiness that happens around her home with her three children and her hilarious husband who also works in a prison to help support them. <laughs> I, wonderful. Great that your husband is willing to do something like that. George, you have a Merry Christmas and a safe and blessed New Year. And good luck with your new church. We'll pray for you and we'll pray that it doesn't lose the shining. If you want to know about that reference, you need to go read her blog. And um, I will be reading your blog, Jules, just to keep up um, with what you're doing. So keep on writing and I will connect with you next year because I think we want to hear how all this is going. It was a total pleasure talking to you this morning. You have a lovely weekend. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And now let's talk about something completely different but utterly consuming in the lives of the McNenny clan at the moment. The wedding plans. They've stalled as we wait for quotes from possible reception venues and churches. Yes, I said churches. Everyone has jumped on the wedding bandwagon and churches are charging an arm and a leg just to walk, not be carried, over the threshold. I would expect this type of commercial behaviour from money-loving businesses, but not from institutions where souls are supposed to be won. No wonder my guest a couple of weeks ago, Jessica Bowman, has grown disillusioned with many of her Generation X peers with what's going on in our churches today. I never thought I'd seriously suggest to my children to elope or get married in a park or on a beach, but really, shouldn't encouraging young folk to get married in a church before a priest be part of the Christian ministry? Go figure that one out. 
And while you're figuring out, I'm wondering what we're going to be doing this year for Christmas. I've been having these complete mental blocks when people ask me what I'm doing. I know it's just around the corner, but I can't visualize the number of days away it is. And it is only days now. I always imagine it to be further away than it really is. And then, poof, it's here and gone in one day. Well, not really one day for us, because we always follow the day with another party. So for us, it lasts just a little bit longer than most with our tradition of Boxing Day. But being on a Tuesday? Oh, I don't know about that. We mark the passage of time with candles on our Advent wreath, yet I'm always taken by surprise when the day actually rolls around and I spend the last couple of days like an angel out of heaven, rushing to do things I thought I had all the time in the world to do. This year, I've cleared my calendar for next week. My only commitment is a visit over to Ali Laprete's Monday show. I'm going to be talking about homeschooling on This Little Parent Stayed Home, so tune in at 7pm Central. The rest of the week, I'm going to be baking. I've decided on pralines this year. I have a fancy for them, even when some batches don't work out. I just crumble those up for ice cream. Ooh, my taste buds are excited, but making pralines really isn't baking. And making fudge really isn't baking either, but making chocolate truffles is, because I have to bake the cake. Maybe some family members will join me in the kitchen. Hmm. On Christmas Day, I don't know what we're planning. Not a lot of gifting, but I'll talk more about that next week. I don't think any of our children are working this year, so we've talked about films. We may head out to see Les Miserables together. Well, I'm thinking midnight mass on Christmas Eve, our usual Chinese meal in the evening, then brunch the following morning after the movie, then maybe a nap or a look at Netflix. This family loves to wait until all the options are in before making set-in-stone plans. But togetherness is the theme, so that's what we'll aim for. And I just thought of those chocolates waiting to be hung on the tree and then eaten. My oldest son and I worked really hard gluing the hangers on. He had his tree that he wanted to hang chocolates on, and of course I had my tree, and we had two hot glue guns, so we stood together and did them together the other day. And we were talking about mind-numbing jobs like the zoo job my son used to have, keeping the barns clean every day, hosing, raking, hauling hay, not the most men mentally stimulating job one can do, even if it is in the Okapi stalls. And I said something about groomsmen who muck out stables day in, day out. My son gave me that look, you know, the one that says, I'm hearing you and try to catch up with where you just went. Just keep talking. Give me a moment. And then he asked, well, what does groomsmen and mucking out stables have to do with anything? And he thought for a bit and said, oh, you're talking about Marco and the bird cages he has to clean up. Marco is one of my fiancé son's groomsmen. It was my turn to look confused because I wasn't talking about wedding and groomsmen at all. I was talking about the ones who groom horses and clean their stables. He said, I never knew they were called that. I was assumed they were the groom's best men at his wedding. And I promise you, I did talk about words having several meanings when I homeschooled them. But obviously that lesson went straight out of their head over their heads or in one ear and out the other, whatever. When the light went on, he said, see, mum, I'm always being homeschooled. If anyone can still challenge me and impart new pieces of seemingly trivial information that I've never heard, it's you. Wasn't that nice? Yes, once a homeschooler, always a homeschooler. And I know you hear it. I know. I know you do. 
the Christmas music everywhere and the traffic. Anywhere that leads to a mall this time of the year is crazy. Have you noticed a serious lack of goodwill towards men at this time of year too? The worst is brought out in people when they're in a hurry to get their shopping done. And what's with the sales before Christmas? It seems that a that the whole season from November to January is just a big push to up the profits. And a big part of that is slashing prices before Christmas. I noticed ornaments the other day were being slashed by 60% and we've not even decorated our tree yet. I still wait until after Christmas to get my bargains for the following year, but maybe I'd better change my tactics if I want any kind of choice. The only store I'm frequenting at the moment is my local Kroger where I go for food supplies. But even in the midst of my rantings about the traffic and the crowds and the in-your-face treasures that you don't need being advertised everywhere, I have fond memories of good family, good food and good company and music and church services. So today I had this thought that instead of serving my customary Christmas pudding, you see it was a food thought with brandy butter, I think I'll serve it with hot custard. That was so random and probably needs a little bit of an explanation. Usually brandy butter is made with like brandy and butter and icing sugar and it's put in the fridge and it gets really hard and you put it on the hot Christmas pudding. It just melts all over the place and it's delicious. Custard, though, is just made with milk and has no alcohol in it, though I could probably pop a little bit in. And it's served hot and poured over the hot Christmas pudding. Maybe they'll make me make the brandy butter and the custard this year. Anyway, that's it for another week. I'm off to buy my baking supplies for next week. We have our reading group Christmas party with husbands on Sunday, a Mexican feast. And you can hear me live again on Monday at 7 during Ali's show, This Little Parent Stayed Home If You've Not Had Enough. Can you tell I'm excited? I'll be here same time, same place next week on Toginet Radio. And without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my guest, Jules Rothaker, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Christine, Joel, Laura, and many others who are part of my growing audience. Listen to my friend Sandy Fowler of Hartfield Holidays on Mondays at 1 Central and Brenda Nixon on The Parents' Plate Tuesdays at 9 Central. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginet. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who were willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.